Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry, I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think of a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 127 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we just want the world to be better. We hope it can happen. I don't know. Maybe. I'm Karen Peterson, joined as always by my amazing co-host, Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. Yeah, I think we need to go back to our to our original tagline. We're so tired. <laughs> we are. And right now oh. I mean it literally and figuratively and emotionally and spiritually and yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Karen. <laughs> How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I mean, I, I think that you know, we were talking just a few minutes ago about all of the things that we're tired of. Um, but, but I'm doing, I'm doing fine on a day-to-day basis. So that's good. How are that's things? Something. How are your parents? <laughs> My parents are doing great. Having a lovely time here. Uh, it has been very nice and quiet and, and thunderstormy recently. Ooh. Um, which has been, which is, there's a difference between like a thunderstorm in the countryside versus a thunderstorm in the city. And I like thunderstorms in the countryside. So you feel all nice and warm and cozy in your little bed and trees are blowing outside the window. So nice. it's fun. <laughs> That's awesome. I, oh man, this has been the craziest week. I, I just don't even, I feel like I have slept about four hours in the last seven days. <laughs> and I just, last night, I just kind of had had it. And I went to bed at eight o'clock and I laid there for six hours. <laughs> and I'm like, I had a movie on, I was scrolling through Twitter, I was reading all the tributes to Chadwick Boseman and my friends were texting me and stuff and then all of a sudden it was 2 a.m. and I was like I still have not slept and this is after a week of barely getting to sleep because I had so much work to do and yeah so then this I finally woke up or finally did fall asleep at some point I don't know when but I woke up at six and I was like oh this is not good luckily I don't have a lot to do tonight so after we're done I can go fall asleep on the couch in front of the TV or something, but. That can be nice though. Yeah. Like when, when you really reach that point where you're just like, I'm so tired. I just want to like, not, not necessarily sleep, but just lie there and stare mm-hmm. mindlessly at something that can be kind of pleasant. It can be. Yeah, it definitely can be. But I mean, this week was like highs and lows, you know, there were good things. Mm-hmm. There were bad things. I, I still can't even believe that it happened, Lauren. I cannot believe that I interviewed Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my last official interview for award circuit was interviewing Jeff Goldblum. And you know what? He is exactly the person you imagine him to be. I appreciate that. And I am happy to hear it. Uh, as, as I said, as I said to Karen off, <laughs> offline, I was like, I'm so super jelly. So jelly. <laughs> Oh my God. But the thing is, I don't think I could actually talk to Jeff Goldblum. I don't think I would be able to like handle it in, in any sense. I'd be like, I don't know 
what to say to you. <laughs> I think you'd be surprised because I don't, I mean, I always get nervous in the sense when I'm doing any interview, no matter who it is, I always get a little bit nervous that I'm going to ask really stupid questions because I, I always have ideas in my mind of what I'd like to talk to them about. It's always a very specific thing that we're interviewing for anyway. Um, but I don't go in and like write down question, answer, question, answer, you know, cause I think those are kind of boring. I'd rather talk with people a little bit. And, um, with him, I actually wrote down some questions because I was so afraid that I was going to forget what I wanted to ask him because <laughs> he's Jeff Goldblum. And it was just, it was, he was, he puts you at ease right away. And it was just so like, Hey, how are you? Let's chat, you know, cool picture on your bio on <laughs> your website. <laughs> like what, why are you looking at my bio, Jeff Goldblum? <laughs> it's cause he wants to know who he's talking to. Like those kinds of things are just amazing, you know? And, and, uh, yeah. So I, I think that you would be very, very nervous to meet him, but he would immediately put you at ease and make you feel comfortable. That's, that's, that's the kind of, yeah, he just has that way. He just has that charm of like, he, what the impression that I walked away from or, or walked away with was that he just is so truly genuinely interested in people and who people are. And it's just impossible not to get caught up in that and to just feel at ease. So. Well, that's, yeah. that's lovely. Yeah, I, I, told, I told you earlier, so I've been, I've been watching, finally watching The World According to Jeff Goldblum. Yay! Like, I've only been talking I, about it for a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I've put it off, and then I've been like, oh, I should really watch that, and, and it just, just hadn't happened. But I started watching it, and I, I, so I watched the ice cream episode, and yes. I, was just, I was just like, this is really nice. This is really nice. And yeah, you do get that sense that he's just like, so like, why do we eat ice cream? Like, what is it about ice cream? And like, and there is that very laconic kind of like, huh, I wonder why. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's, it's very pleasant and, and everything. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that he is, that that's just, that's just who he is. Like, that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. I cannot wait until you get to the episode on pools. I think that one was my favorite one. The tattoo <laughs> one is great too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to watch the tattoo one, I think today, just because, nice. just because I have a personal relationship with tattoos. So. Yes. Well, you're going to be jealous of the guy that gets a tattoo of Jeff Goldblum from Jeff Goldblum. So. That's so cool. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So, but that was my last official interview for a word circuit. It's done as of Monday. It's going dark. I have to, that was one of the things last night that I was up doing until two in the morning was they, uh, Clayton wanted us all to write farewell pieces and I'd been putting it off because I had so many interviews, uh, one of which was also Leah Remini who then tweeted out our interview and followed me on Twitter and now I will never meet Tom Cruise. But that's okay. It was worth it because my love for him is less than my burning desire to bring down Scientology. <laughs> so well, you got You have to bring down Scientology to free him. Exactly. Like, that's what needs exactly. to happen. That's 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 it. Exactly. I, I want Tom to Cruise. liberate him. <laughs> yep. Um, but it was a really great interview too. But yeah. So last night up and I was you know trying to. 
like, how do you write about seven years of just amazing experiences that you never imagined would happen? And, and I don't know, it's, it's very bittersweet. I'm excited for the next chapter too, but it's weird that this is just done. And so suddenly, like what we were talking about before we started, um, recording today, like how certain things it's like, on one side, it seems like it's just kind of in building, but uh, for the from the inside, it's like, wow, this is just very, very sudden. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. And then the other thing, of course, last night was just the news about Chadwick Boseman, which just, I think very few celebrity deaths have affected me the way this one feels like it is. And um, this is, sorry guys, just so you know, we've thrown out our... <laughs> our plan to uh, talk about the history of horror. We're going to actually do that next week. But I just was like, I can't, I can't talk about that stuff. I need to focus on this and what's, what's currently happening right now this week. Mm -hmm. And, and um, yeah, there's, there are very few celebrity deaths that have affected me the way that this one has. And I think part of the reason that this hit me so hard is because of the fact that I'm just so exhausted and it just came at the end of a brutally long, really emotional week. Um, But also just like the moment I found out I was in a zoom meeting with some friends and we were supposed to do an activity, but it ended up not happening because a bunch of people didn't show up. But um but we were just kind of talking and one of my friends said, Hey Karen, I just got this text message. Do you know what's up with Chadwick Boseman? And as soon as she said that, I just felt, I just felt the color drain from my face. And I I just, I knew without knowing Mm -hmm. because he, I knew it wasn't that, Oh, there's accusations against him or anything like that. I knew it because he's just not that person. And, um, I just, I knew he was gone and I was immediately just like crushed. And then I looked and I read what happened and to see that he was sick for four years for the entire time that a lot of people have even known who he is, Mm -hmm. he's been sick and has just been out there fighting for people and, and championing people and supporting and building up and, to have him just suddenly gone and he knew the whole time that he's been you know he's been out there fighting for people and he's been having this very private battle himself and it just it broke my heart and I was so sad for him and for his family and for I was reading all these stories about parents that were saying like the first Marvel movie I took my kid to was Black Panther and they got to see um I got to see a hero that looked like them and mm-hmm. how am I going to tell them tomorrow that he's gone? And it just, it was, it was just making me so sad. I don't know. I just. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's, I mean, I think first of all, it's just shocking. Yeah. Um, so you get that. I mean, whenever someone, cause he, he's, he was 43, right? So whenever you get someone who is, is that young, and then also, also for the for for you know everyone outside and the public and everything, just not knowing that any of this was going on, and yeah. suddenly it was just like, oh, 
you know, so, so yeah, I, I mean, I saw it, I was scrolling, I was actually scrolling, because I follow him on Instagram, I was, I was scrolling through my Instagram feed, and then suddenly it was just like, you know, and the Instagram, uh, uh, his Instagram page was like, you know, we have to confirm that yes, uh, Chadwick has passed on, I was like, wait a minute, what, I thought it was a joke at first, or I thought it was like, oh, his, his like, his page has been hacked or something, yeah, um, and, and it, it was such a strange thing, because like, but, and, and I was like, but he's like, 40 like what the hell and then and then you read further down obviously and like he he had been sick for four years he's you know and and obviously had concealed it or and and not necessarily concealed it had not talked about it publicly which is completely understandable this was not something that you know he shared with the public this was not something that his family shared with the public and it, it was a private thing that he went through um and yeah, and then getting online uh, earlier today and seeing just the number of people, it, some of it was also just the reiteration of how important Black Panther has been for a lot of people and, and how sad it is to lose and how devastating in a certain sense to lose someone who represented that for so many people. Um, and, and I think that that's what's heartbreaking about it and in another sense beyond just the human sense is that sense of 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 loose you know you you know you talk about black panther will continue on yeah but there's there are all of these kids that that was the first time they saw themselves on screen but all these adults that that's that's the first time they really saw themselves on screen saw themselves in the hero right Mm -hmm. um and and that that was just as important um as as anything else could have been so it's and, and I do, I do think that some of the reaction is also just as a result of of, sh- of the shock that this was not someone you would expect, right? Yeah. And nor was it; it wasn't an accident. It wasn't in the same in the same sense of like what happened to Kobe Bryant or um, or even Anton Yelchin, where it was this you know this freak accident. This was something that he was going through, as you're saying, for a very long time, and did not talk about did not really even hint at or or anything like that and suddenly it's like oh and and now he's passed on and yeah it's it's very tough um i mean i i personally did not have the same kind of connection i think to to him as an actor i i mean i respect him as an actor i loved him as an actor um it's interesting what celebrity deaths affect us and, and which ones don't uh, or, or which ones we really feel in some sense. I, I wouldn't say that no, that none of these deaths affect us, but I think that there are ones that for some reason, because of the way we experience them, the way that what they represented for us, uh, et cetera, that, that some people were just like, this, this is a really emotional thing for me. And for others just like, oh, that's really sad, but it's, it, it, it doesn't have that same kind of resonance. I think that what has resonance is, what he represented for so many people yeah. uh, and how important that was. And the fact, and, and I do think we have to remember that that's not going away, right? right? That doesn't destroy any of that. It's what's sad is that we're not gonna get to see what else he's going to do, uh, he was going to do. Um, and and that's, that's the real sadness for it. And they're all, all of these kids who, you know, you identify, particularly when you're a kid, you identify the actor with the character and there is that sense of like oh you know we've lost black panther <laughs> mhm yeah it's you're right i mean i think that people have different connections to people depending on a lot of things and for yeah. me 
I never met him. I didn't know him. I think what I was really drawn in by was how much he inspired um, kids, not even just kids, but uh, like you pointed out, like adults too, who had never seen themselves represented that way. And, and not even just with Black Panther. I mean, I don't think, I know not enough people have seen the movie Marshall, where he plays Thurgood Marshall. And mm-hmm. I think that that is a movie that really deserves more attention than it got. I thought it was a really good movie. And um, I think that the way that he gave this very, um, you use the word nuanced so much, but that's really what it was. It was this this portrayal of Thurgood Marshall as someone who was obviously a very good man, but also had layers. And, and it was just this, this way of looking at him that you don't off, no, not that you don't often, but it was just a a nice new way of looking at someone that we kind of just know about and don't really know. Yeah. History. And I think the same with 42 when he played Jackie Robinson as well. And I just, that's what the thing that makes him special. And it's not that he was those men, but he embodied something that really brought them out and gave us, um, gave us new ways of looking at them and yeah. uh, just so talented. It's really sad. Um, and then he was into five bloods earlier this year and um it wasn't a it wasn't a big role he was kind of he was the fallen the fallen buddy but mm-hmm. uh the fallen soldier but it was impactful his his work there was impactful and i don't know it's it's just sad to see that he's just so suddenly taken from us or maybe not so sudden but it feels like it because we didn't know and but the good thing is that he his legacy will continue and people are going to remember him because not only because of what he did on screen, but because of what he encouraged other people to do and because of how he helped others. I mean, I think back to when Black Panther came out and the, all the GoFundMes to take kids that never got to go to the movies, mm-hmm. to take them to go see it. And like that there, the video was circulating last night on Twitter of those little, the kids in the elementary school, who mm-hmm. were doing the dance when they found out that they got to go see it. And um, I mean, he changed. And it wasn't just him, obviously. It was Ryan Coogler and, and the rest of the cast too, but he was he was the face of that. And he changed yeah. he changed representation in a way that um, needed to happen and and he had so much to do with that. And it's amazing. And he knew where, where things were headed, even if the rest of us didn't. And he did it anyway. He fought and he, he kept going. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, that's something to, that's something to respect. That's something to admire. It's something to, you know, and, and you don't know necessarily, and we probably will never know why he, he decided not to talk about it publicly, why he decided, why this wasn't something that was, um, you know, kind of his public focus. A number of people have said, and I think you said last night, you know, he did like three action movies while he was sick. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty spectacular, you know, props to that. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really amazing. And if you look at those performances and everything, like there's, 
like th this is this is activity this is like you know i mean it, it, it's it's amazing that he was sick at that period and that that was something that he was dedicated to doing for whatever reason um and i think that we also you know we can't we can't be like you know people are allowed to be sick yeah. <laughs> if you cannot do three action movies while you have cancer it's okay uh but but that that was also obviously something that he valued for himself and something that he valued maybe for for what he represented but it, it was that continuing to to give um to give a performance and to work and and that can be so important for people who are sick um to just be like you know i have to continue working because not because you're being forced to work necessarily but because you need to feel that you're doing something and that you you know something else to focus on something else to do as part of your life something that you love doing you know all of those things yeah. um and so i think that's important not to you know, not to necessarily valorize that kind of strength to say that it's okay to be weak, but also to admire the fact that, that someone like him was so willing to do that and needed to do that at some level. It really put things in perspective for me because he and I were basically the same age. I was actually a couple months older than him. And, um, and I just sat there and thought, like, I am so lazy. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> I have no excuses. When I, when it hit me, like he did Civil War, the Avengers movies and Black Panther all while he had cancer and Civil War probably was filmed before he knew that he had it. But, um, but the fact is he probably didn't develop it after the fact. He probably just didn't know he had it yet, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, um, it just made me realize like, what am I doing with my life? And I think that's, <laughs> like I said, I don't think that this is something that everyone should expect. No, 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 no. Obviously I'm not going to go out and be a action star or anything, but like, I barely walk around the block, you know, I'm just like, I spend so much time just cooped up in my house, especially right now, but yeah, just in yeah. general, you know, and it just, it made me think like, man, he was out there inspiring so many people and and he wasn't inspiring them because he was sick he was inspiring them in spite of being sick and it just it made me think like there's so much more that i could be doing with myself and i think that that's honestly it feels like a good takeaway it feels like the right takeaway from what's happening um yeah. it's just to get out there and just do more i don't have to yeah. do that but i can do more than i am yeah that can that can be really valuable i think to kind of um when, when you lose a celebrity especially someone that you admire or someone that was you know your age or things like that that can be something just like i i need to you know i need to change the way that i behave or i need to i need to focus on other things because maybe there are other things that i can be focusing on that you know and i, and I think that it's all about what does it contribute to you as a person? What does it contribute to the world uh, that you that you're capable of doing? And he obviously did what he felt he was capable of doing. I, yeah. I doubt that he was doing anything that he was like, I can't, I can't push through this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that does seem like a good takeaway from all this. It's it's deeply sad, uh, but I also think that we should remember just how the reason why it's sad um beyond simply the the loss of a human being is is how important he has been in such a, a short career mm -hmm. um and how much he has meant and continues to mean to a lot of people yeah yeah exactly um so 
with that, we wanted to just spend the rest of today talking about um, just kind of updates on what we've been watching lately. And um, rather than focusing on anything new and like education of <laughs> horror genres and people. Uh, we, will so, talk, we will talk about fake horror <laughs> yes. know, next next time. Let's talk about, actually, I, I, something that I'm going to talk about shortly is going to be horror, but, awesome. but it's, it's a good thing. <laughs> it's very cool. Well, um, so what is something that you've been watching recently? <laughs> well, so I just started watching Lovecraft Country, uh, which, which is the, the television show on, on HBO that is based on the novel by um, Matt Ruff and uh, is produced by Jordan Peele, and the showrunner is, is Misha Green, who I believe also did Underground. Um, and, and so the, the, the show, if for anyone who hasn't read the book or, uh, or has not watched any of the show, the show basically centers around this one black family uh, originally living in 1950s Chicago, who uh, the, the, initial, the initial kind of catalyst for, for all of the events is that the son Atticus, who is uh, a Korean War vet, comes home, uh, in, and he's looking for his because he received a letter from his father, essentially summoning him or asking him to come to uh, a place called Ardham, Massachusetts. Which anyone who's ever read Lovecraft or anything like that, you know what the, you know what's coming, uh, um, because he has a birthright that has been stolen from him. And so that's the whole idea. So it's, it's Atticus, his uncle George, um, his friend Letitia uh, going from Chicago to Massachusetts. And his uncle George also is uh, the writer of a, a guide. And so essentially the, a green book for um, black people traveling throughout the United States, what towns are safe, what places are safe and which ones are not. And it's about kind of what they encounter both in the, in the, the uh, trip to Artem and eventually when they get there. And it is, uh, it, it's a fantastic show. It's a lot of fun. It's funny, it's scary um, for anyone that I think has read the book or has read Lovecraft. It has a, another dimension to it, as it were. <laughs> mm. um, because uh, obviously one of the things that this, this uh, um, show is dealing with is the issues of, uh, of black people in the, in the 1950s, but just at any period. And also the fact that H.P. Lovecraft and much of the things that he constructed were, was incredibly racist. Like, and by incredibly <laughs> yeah. racist, I mean, if you have never read any Lovecraft stories, I invite you to read. Some of his stories are great and they're incredibly influential. I, I actually love Lovecraft's writing style. I love a lot of the things that he created as most horror fans do. Uh, and he's also really, really racist. And that's something that has to be dealt with by both white and black readers. Um, but if you ever, if you ever wanna know just how racist Lovecraft is, I, I invite people to just Google um, the name of H.P. Lovecraft's cat. Uh, <laughs> Lovecraft owned a black cat and just Google it. Just Google that question and see what comes up. And that will prove, I think, beyond a shadow of a doubt that Lovecraft was not just, you know, casually racist in the way of his time period, but was truly, truly a bigot. Uh, and most of his stories reflect a lot of that bigotry, some more than others, and it depends upon which stories you read. And, and um, one of the most notorious ones is Horror Red Hook, which is just, you're going along just fine and suddenly I'm like, oh no. 
oh god why <laughs> uh and can be really difficult to read but he's also this incredibly influential horror writer and uh you know some of the basis of of um contemporary horror writing is lovecraft and and he uh, he created a, a mythology and a, and a world, essentially, that is fascinating and is very attractive to both white and black writers. And so one of the interesting things that I think Lovecraft Country does is that it takes that and sort of turns his racism on, on its head um, and, and really manages to do something really interesting with it. So it's, it's a fantastic show. I, the first two episodes are out uh, and I cannot wait to see what they do with the rest. I have read the book. So I kind of know where at least some of this is going, even though they've made some changes here and there. Uh, but it, it, is, it is amazing and it is a lot of fun and it is fun for horror fans and it is fun for pretty much anyone that just likes good horror and, and truly uh, conscious horror, horror that is actually trying to do something and say something. I am very excited to watch it. I still haven't seen it because... Um, HBO Max and Roku really need to figure their shit out. I've been yeah, talking about really this do. since May. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, what I decided was like, as soon as the episodes are done, as soon as the series finishes, I'm going to sign up for my free seven days through like Hulu. <laughs> Watch it and then cancel. <laughs> yep. I think that's what a lot of people are doing, <laughs> to yeah. be honest. I, I've done that. I've done the same thing, but through Prime. It's And so you can like... Because I really don't care about anything else on, on HBO, to be honest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I was like, no, I really, I want to pay for this particular thing because I think that it's important. Um, but yeah, it, it is a great show. Like, I think that you'll like it. Yeah. I'm really excited to see it. I've heard such amazing things about it that I just, yeah, I can't wait. So. Yeah. And, and the book is worth reading as well, if, if you get a chance to. Like, I, having read the book and watching the show, it doesn't, it hasn't taken away from the show at all, uh, kind of knowing the basic plot and everything. And they do make some changes to it, so. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, I've rewatched a lot of things this week, but one thing that, because I've just had a lot in the background, like, while I was trying to do work, but one new thing that I watched was... Um, Ida Lupino's 1953 film, The Bigamist, Ooh. which stars Edmund O'Brien, Joan Fontaine, a few other people. Um, have you seen, you've seen it? Yeah, I, I've seen The Bigamist. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so for those who are unfamiliar, it's about a bigamist. Um, spoilers. <laughs> Anyway, but it's, no, it's this, it starts off, it's this couple that they have been dealing with infertility and they want to adopt a baby. And so the, um, the guy who is with the agency, he, um, he wants to investigate them, look into their background and stuff and make sure that they're fit to adopt a baby. And in the course of this, he starts finding some really strange things and he uncovers that that um harry is a bigamist um and the a lot of the movie is harry explaining how this happened and explaining why he found himself in the position that he was where he it, it's it seems like he truly is in love with both of these women and really wants to have these lives with them. It's not like he's playing them against each other or anything like that. And he's completely just torn. And, and it's interesting the way that, um, the way that the story is told because 
you see both the women, you see the relationships that he has with each of them and, and how happy they are. And it, it, for, especially considering the fact that this movie came out in 1953, it's really interesting to me how it doesn't vilify him. It's not like, oh, wow, Harry's this evil person because he's got these two wives. It's like, no, this is actually a pretty complicated situation. And there's a lot to it. And people don't just, like, wake up one day. Well, most people don't just wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm going to get me two wives, you know? And that wasn't the case with him. And and it's especially because this is still during code days, um, they didn't they didn't make a point that he's like this bad guy or anything like that. They let it just be this complicated, Ida Lupino let it just be this complicated story. And even to what happens in the end where Mm -hmm. he, you know, he eventually is arrested on charges of bigamy and the judge even is like, Hey, this is, this is complicated. And I just, I thought it was a really fascinating movie and i highly recommend it it's on the criterion channel right now it it is i'm so glad that you got to see that it is uh yeah i remember seeing that movie and being like wow i i did not expect to feel this the these different emotions for these characters you know and and i also like the fact that she doesn't vilify the women either there is this like so so uh one of the issues with the joan fontaine character is that she can't have children right Mm -hmm. And, and that, and that this is something they want to have children. He wants to have children. And she has more or less kind of accepted the fact that she can't have children, that, that, that she can have other things and do mm-hmm. other things. But that so much of the tension between the two of them and, and in their marriage is about, is about that lack, right? And, but yeah. rather than treating this as being like, well, of course, if a woman can't have children, then why would he want to stay with her? Of course, he's going to go off to, with another woman. Um, it doesn't treat it like that. It's, it's more like this is a complicated problem that he solves in probably the worst possible way. Well, but, yeah. <laughs> but it's understandable, both her emotions and his emotions and... Um, and the other woman's emotions, they're all understandable. This is, no one is the bad guy. Right. Uh, everyone is kind of, everyone is kind of screwed up and is screwing up and then gets, and then particularly he gets himself into a situation that he should never have put himself in and that it, it is his responsibility to be in. But it's not that he's an evil person. It's not that there's something wrong with the women or anything like that. It's that there's this very human problem that has spiraled out of control and Mm -hmm. they're they're trying to find ways to work through that and i think that's it's yeah it i agree with you so much it's such a great film he even at one point has the opportunity to walk away from one of his wives without her ever really knowing the truth about with without either of them ever knowing the truth and he just can't bring himself to do it because of the fact that he truly cares about both of them. And also because he just, he doesn't, he doesn't want to, he wants to be able to be honest. He wants to, to have the truth out there and free himself of that. And I think that that's, that's really interesting too, because he didn't just take the easy way out. And, and I think that's part of why, um, 
you know, when it, when it comes out, when everything is, is revealed and everybody knows everything, um, the women themselves, they're, I'm sure there's a lot of anger, but there's not this, like, there's still depth of those emotions too. And, Mm -hmm. and their feelings are complicated because of the fact that, um, they, they did love him. They did have these real relationships with him and that doesn't just go away. And I, I thought, yeah, I thought, I just thought it was a really fascinating, uh, story. And it really does highlight not just this particular story, but these situations can become very comp, uh, very, um, complicated. I've said that word a lot, but it's true. And, and it just makes you think too about, you know, when people are doing the wrong thing in life, it's not just because, oh, well, that guy's a bad person. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why people choose the, the, the choices that they make. And even if those choices are wrong, it's not because they're inherently just bad or evil or just don't care about other people. Sometimes it's actually the opposite and they just find themselves wrapped up in these situations that just spiral out of control and then they get to where they don't know what to do about it. So it, it, I think that's the thing that I walked away with was just finding a little bit more compassion and empathy for people rather than automatically assuming the worst in them just because of the mistakes that they've made and the bad choices that they've made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and as you were pointing out, this is a film that's made in 1953, mm-hmm. 1953. Yeah. So this is, very very early on this is very surprising in a lot of ways you know the the um the the concept isn't surprising right so telling telling a story about a bigamist in 1953 isn't that odd right right representing everybody as being basically sympathetic and being human beings that screw up and that do stupid things and that make problems for themselves and all and that have a, a lot of conflicting desires that they have difficulty reconciling all of that stuff that is a part of the film um, is is very unusual. And and Lupino made a number of films that are very much like that. She made um, one of one of her best films, I think, is Outrage, which is a film about a woman who's raped. And it, it focuses not on the search for the rapist or the it's, it doesn't centralize at all the um, uh, the the kind of the police procedural or the men involved it, it's about how she navigates that problem and it's about the society and the way that the society navigates it um she made she made films about a woman with a dancer who kind of who comes down with polio uh and and again it's it's more about not the external event but how you deal with it internally how these people who are human right? Who are human beings who experience these things and don't always react the way that you want them to, don't always react the way that society says that they should, and don't always react in the way that the, um, uh, that they really should for their own health. Mm-hmm. But they react in a human way. And, and I, I think that that's what she was so good at. She was really good even in these, in these very sort of typical constructions, right? These are not unusual stories. Um, but she was really good at actually spending time looking at the psychologies of the people that were involved and saying like, you know, we're, these are human beings. These are not just characters on a screen. This, this is something that people go through. 
And how do you navigate that? And why do you make the choices that you make? Even if they might appear to be the wrong choices, though those wrong choices have a reasoning behind them. Oh. Um, and, and she she was such a good filmmaker for that. And like pretty much every single one of her films that I've seen, and I think I've seen most of them, um, are are about that, about making those kinds of choices and screwing up sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, we need to do a whole episode just on Ida Lupino, I think. Yeah. I, Ida Lupino's films are, are she, she's a wonderful filmmaker and very interesting and, and very progressive, particularly for her time period. Yeah, I've only seen two so far. I've seen this one and The Hitchhiker, but I want to see the rest. So mm -hmm. so what's something else that you watched this week? So what else have I watched this week? I, I finally watched First Cow, Yay. Uh, which I had missed originally at the New York Film Festival and then uh, just hadn't gotten around to seeing and the pandemic happened <laughs> and, uh, and all of those things. So I finally got to see First Cow, which is a wonderful film about two guys who just want to make cakes and <laughs> and steal milk uh yeah it, it's well, they don't right. want to steal milk it's they just, don't want they would there, prefer they to need it they yeah, need they, the milk they need the milk so they go and take the milk and i did in fact in the first appearance of the cow i definitely leaned over to my father and said that's the first cow <laughs> and he looked at me he's like what and i was like it's that's the cow <laughs> because <laughs> um, i had to i had to like it was How do you just not? Like, it's just there's no thing in there there's no option and the cow like has such an entrance too like that cow <laughs> is like the cow has arrived mm -hmm. um you know great actor uh evie you did a wonderful job uh great admirer of your work um yeah it's it's a wonderful film it's very i mean it's very much in keeping with a lot of kelly reichardt's other other films that sort of the slowness, the um, the way in which characters come in and out of frame, what we actually see and what we hear, all of those things. Uh, it's such a wonderfully done film. And, and I really appreciated the fact that so much of it was about the relationship between these two men, their friendship, their, you know, their connections without really saying much. Um, one of my favorite portions of the film is is when they, they first, they, they go back to, um, to the cabin to have a drink together. And they just sort of move in together without really saying anything. Like they just begin to take on these roles that are, are natural to them. And it's not, there's not a degree of judgment. There's not this feeling that like, you know, they're, they're becoming friends because it's, um, because they feel they can profit from each other or anything like that. It's more like they just fall into these roles that are natural to them. And that's the, those are the roles that they occupy. And it's, it's a really lovely and wonderful and low key film. And, uh, and, and more, I admittedly was, was a little worried because so many people had said that this is such a slow film and it is a slow film, but I found it fascinating. Like it's fascinating to watch even in its slowness and because of its slowness, not a lot really happens. Um, but it's, it's, does a wonderful job at, uh, I think, conveying, you know, talking about human emotions, at conveying human emotions without saying much and, that, and without even doing much, just the way that people relate to each other and the way that the people need each other and the importance yeah. of milk <laughs> and cows. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the thing. I, it, it is, it is slow. It does move slowly, but a lot of Reichert's work 
is like that. And it's not because it's, it's boring. It's not that kind of slow. It just, she lets things take their time and just develop gradually. And, and I think it's really lovely because especially in a movie like this, so much of what is happening and what is important to the film is the relationships between the Mm -hmm. characters and you don't the types of portrayals she wants to show of those relationships you don't get that when you move things quickly and if i mean if she had had picked up the pace it wouldn't have been about cookie and lou and their you know their relationship it would have been about like the caper of stealing the milk every night, you know, and, and it mm-hmm. would have been a much different type of movie. And um, yeah, it wouldn't have been about the two of them finding their own purpose while also helping a cow find hers. <laughs> her milk is for more than just some British guy's tea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, there, there's a little bit of commentary there as well, I think. Um, yeah. it's, it's interesting because uh, we also, my parents and I also watched uh, River of Grass. Mm. which is, I believe, Reichardt's um, first feature film. I think so, yeah. And a very different film in a lot of ways. Uh, it's kind of uh, a, a sun-soaked Jim Jarmusch film. That was, that was the closest kind of approximation. <laughs> um, and and it's, it's a wonderful film as well, and much more female-centric and much more about, um, a, you know, about kind of a woman drift, drifting along and really needing something to break uh, in in her life and not quite knowing what that is until she does uh, and and that that is such a different film but it, you you do begin to to see kind of the beginnings of Reichardt's um, uh, style and her interests and that kind of like again that that not saying anything while also really saying something yeah um and and that i mean that's a lovely film that's also that's actually going off of criterion channel at the end of the month so if anyone hasn't seen that get on it uh it's not a very long film it's like an hour and 16 minutes but it it is a very good one if you're a patron you have until tonight because this is coming out on monday and if you are not then you missed it because it's wednesday (laughs) (laughs) so there you go Another yeah. reason to patronize us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I'm glad you finally got to see it. What did your parents think? Uh, a first cow or a yeah, um, first cow. For first cow, first cow. They really, they really liked it. And like this was uh, so. I'd seen a couple of Reichardt's films before, um, but this was the first one of hers that they had seen, and and they loved it. And like my my parents are very much into cinema like uh mm-hmm. we we watch criterion a lot my dad taught film uh so they're they like a, a lot of varied types of cinema but they really enjoyed it and uh and we we agree that it was nice to see that kind of a different sort of masculinity than you're used to uh, yeah. being represented another good argument for female directors who actually can represent different times of masculinity than the typical ones that we get to see from male ones exactly. so there <laughs> because women aren't trying to fulfill their masculine fantasies by portraying men <laughs> as oh yeah anyway <laughs> um, women are superior in every way guys female creators just are better at it than you are exactly exactly (laughs) um yeah like i said i mostly rewatched things this week um 
one of the things that I rewatched that actually took on a different meaning because I watched it this week was the documentary from last year called The Cave. And that is, there were two documentaries last year called The Cave. The one that I rewatched was the one about the underground hospital in Syria. And that's run by a female doctor. And um, it was- I, I remember when this came out, yeah. Yeah, it was nominated for documentary feature at the Oscars, it didn't win. But now it's nominated for three Emmys. And, um, and it was really interesting because when I watched it before, it was like, you know, December and the world was not what it is right now. And it was, it really got me. I mean, I'm so moved by and affected by stories coming out of Syria. This war has been going on for over nine years and it's still going. It hasn't stopped. And so I was really, uh, really moved by the story and about the these doctors that have stayed in terrible, terrible conditions just because of the fact that they are committed to helping their people who are under constant bomb raids every day and no end in sight. The Syrian government just is not letting up on people. And so watching it in December, it was like, yeah, I was moved by it. It's the same director, Faraz Fayyad, who did um, Blessed Men in Aleppo, which was about the white helmets in, um, in Aleppo. But um, the group of volunteers, this is specifically about this particular hospital underneath the, um, the city. And, um, but watching it again this week, because I interviewed the director, um, so I had to watch it again. And... I just kept thinking, what are they doing now during the pandemic? How's, how, yeah. <laughs> how are they making it, you know? And that yeah. was actually something that he and I talked about in our interview was just like, I, how are they doing this? How are they surviving this? And he's like, he's like, they're not, <laughs> they're, they're completely stuck. Things are worse than, than ever. And now the raids are still going, the bombs are still happening and they've got COVID on top of this and the world is totally distracted because of their, everybody else is dealing with COVID. Nobody has time to think about what's happening in Syria. And these doctors are still dealing with this. And, and there was something he said where he, he just basically was like, they tell us to stay home, but these people have no homes. They tell us go buy masks, but they, they, they don't have the money to buy masks and there aren't masks to buy. So what are they supposed to do? And it just, it hit me in a completely different way. And it was just interesting because sometimes you'll watch something and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's a really tragic thing that's happening. But then when you watch it again with a completely different understanding of the world or as circumstances have changed, it takes on even a, a newer, a new and bigger meaning. And now it's like, I don't know what we can do to help the people of Syria, but we've got to do something. Yeah, I, I think so So many of us have, have forgotten that all of the crises that were going on before COVID yeah. are still going on, like, and some of them are worse because of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's so easy to forget that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's it's good that there are things that are there to remind us, but but yeah, it's kind of like, okay, so what what can we do? You know, what can 
because we also, you know, we're also, like you say, we're, we're also need to be taking care of ourselves. Everybody's distracted and being like, you know, we have to, we have to look out for the people right here, right now, you know, and, and to think about people that are thousands of miles away and that you're like, oh yes, isn't it terrible about Syria? It's like, those are human beings, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that are going through not only the same shit that we are, but even worse shit because all of the shit that they were going through beforehand, they're still going through. <laughs> right, exactly. It's, yeah. Well, yeah. happy movies. Yeah, well, I'll get to one in a minute, but uh, what was something <laughs> else that you watched? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of what else I've watched. Uh, so we watched, we watched River of Grass, watched, uh, oh, uh, High Hopes, which is a, um, a Mike Lee film from 1988, from the Thatcher era. Uh, and is, is very much what you would expect from a Mike Lee film from the Thatcher era. <laughs> so, uh, it's a good film. It's, it's mostly about, it's about a family uh, in, in London and, um, uh, and specifically focusing on the, the brother and his, his girlfriend who is, uh, they're, they're sort of socialists, Marxists, uh, and, and his, um, his sister's kind of, a aspire she aspires to be uh an up, upwardly mobile middle class even though she isn't and is just like completely obsessed with appearances and everything and then they're they're also dealing with their mother who lives in a council house um and is is slowly beginning beginning to to go through um what's implied to be dementia or alzheimer's and is also not a very nice person to begin with um so there's there's this weird kind of dichotomy that's going on between the kids not really liking their mom and also being very sympathetic to her and trying to help her, et cetera. And it, it's a, as, it, as with most of Mike Lee films, it's a wonderful film. It is very, very critical of Thatcher, which we are not surprised by. Uh, and, but it's, it's, again, very much about, it's interesting the films I've been watching this week. It's very much about human beings and the complexity of human beings and trying to kind of muddle your way through uh, as best you can, and and sometimes failing at it, and and it's uh, it's also about how truly dreadful the British middle classes are, <laughs> uh, which having been around some of the British middle classes, they're not all dreadful, but there's there's definitely something to be criticized there. <laughs> but it's it's a good film. Cool. Yeah, I have not watched that one, so, but I will. Um. So <laughs> one movie that I watched this week because I just needed some comfort food, you know, um, was a movie that I find myself having to defend sometimes. And you know, what? I don't care. It's not a guilty pleasure because I don't have them. I don't feel guilty about my pleasures. Um, but it was the Melissa McCarthy movie, Tammy from 2014. <laughs> I, I have not seen that. Oh my gosh. I still I... haven't seen it. I love this movie. Now, I think part of why I love it is the fact that, so I went with two friends to Paris and London um, in that summer of 2014. And my thing with traveling internationally, if you're gone for more than like a week and a half, you got to plan something in your trip that is just like one night where you just basically our home, you know, otherwise it gets really tiring. At least for me, it gets really tiring to just be traveling in another country for so long with nothing familiar, you know? So, 
So this one night we were about, we were in the middle of our second week there. We were just feeling really tired because we've been just running around so much. And we decided to go to the movies. And um, so we were in England. We were in Sheffield, actually. And um, <laughs> we got on the train and we went to the movies to see Tammy, a totally, totally American movie. And, um, and we were the only ones laughing in the theater <laughs> with all these British people <laughs> who were like, why is this funny? And we were cracking up. And, um, and so I think that's part of why that movie is just so special to me and why I just have so much affection for it. Cause I don't think it's like a great movie. It's definitely not one of McCarthy's best and her husband directed it. So it's not, it's not their best work, but I also think that it's definitely not even close to their worst. Um, so it's. Melissa McCarthy plays the title character. She's Tammy, and she's just having one of those crappy days. Part of it is brought on by herself, um, just being kind of irresponsible. She gets fired from her job. She goes home early because she's been fired and finds her husband having an affair with the neighbor. And so then she's just like, forget it. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. So she goes, she like grabs some stuff and walks next door to her parents' house. <laughs> and She's like, I need to take your car. I need money. I'm leaving. And she ends up on a road trip with her grandmother, who is played by Susan Sarandon. And um, so it's, it's like this road trip, generation gap type movie where lots of really ridiculous stuff happens. Like one ridiculous thing after another that could get very old and tedious. But just because it's Melissa McCarthy and because I just love her so much <laughs> it just it makes me giggle every time I watch it and in fact I texted my friend that I went and saw it with in England and I texted her I'm like I don't know if you know how many times I've watched Tammy <laughs> and she's like oh my gosh me too like we never talked about it but we both watch it like every time it's on TV, <laughs> apparently <laughs> so we had kind of this little bonding moment about our love for that movie and yeah that's one that has a a place in my heart so I you know I had completely forgotten about that film until you <laughs> talked about it I was like oh, I should really watch that that would be fun it was on tv this week on I think fx so you could probably find it on like fx now or something I mean I'm certain that it's available somewhere like yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep and like I said it's silly there's you know it's it's not deep or anything but it's it's just it's just funny and I mean I just I love Susan Sarandon and I'm, um she's she's always fun I generally you know I generally enjoy Melissa McCarthy even in her her bad films so I just like this, this is still fun <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so yeah anything else that you've seen uh I just want to give a final like quick shout out to Baccarat uh which oh, I finally yeah. got to see that is is again it's on the Criterion channel it's also on key it's it's been on Kino uh Kino Now off and on mm -hmm. um and it's oh that is a film uh <laughs> that I, it is. <laughs> it is it is a film it is probably that is, you know, I, I always like seeing films where, I, where I'm sitting there going like I have no idea what's gonna happen like I, and that was definitely one of those films where I was like, okay, I think I know what the story is. And I was like, I do not know what the story is. <laughs> um, and it's just getting weirder and stranger. And, and then when you kind of, I think 
I was beginning to suspect what was happening and then everything sort of came together. And I was like, oh, this is, this is good. I like mm-hmm. this. Uh, yeah, I don't want to give too many spoilers in terms of Baccarat, except to say that it is a Brazilian film. It is very well done. Um, it definitely has a lot of horror aspects to it, although maybe not quite in the way that you would expect. Um, and, and it's about a small town in Brazil where shit begins happening and uh and it gets stranger and stranger and nastier and nastier and it it is ultimately a very satisfying film so i highly recommend it to to everybody if you have not gotten to see it yet um again one of those that did the festival rounds and that i had actually intended to go see at film forum when it was there uh but the pandemic happened and and I did not get to do that but uh it's it's a fantastic film yeah I that was actually I think that was out the first week that Kino Marquis started and because I watched it I watched it back in the beginning so yeah it's definitely a whole lot of movie I'm excited that it's on Criterion because I want to watch it again because it's because there is so much to it that I was like, I feel like I've missed stuff, you know. So, I, I think it would be inter- it would be an interesting film to watch, knowing knowing what happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because so I, it's it is one of those films where you're spending a lot of time kind of puzzling out mm-hmm. what's going to happen or what is happening, and and so you maybe don't. I, I I remember I I do have to say that my dad picked up on something that I did not initially and. And uh, one of the things my dad said was just like, well, they did keep on saying to go to the museum. You know, don't you want to <laughs> yeah. look at our museum? And it's like, I think maybe mm-hmm. you should have looked at the museum. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So, and, but, but it is one of those films that's very subtle in a lot of ways that you're just like, wait a minute, what is going on? And then, and then you, it, it, like I say, it all begins to come together. It's like, oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a really smart one. It's, it's good. So mm-hmm. definitely recommend that. So, um, yeah. So yeah, that's my, that's my final one, I think. Awesome. I mean, my other stuff is like, I rewatched The Invisible Man because I just need to film. watch a girl kick ass, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I rewatched Ma just because I needed to see Octavia Spencer be nuts. <laughs> so it's like, that was kind of my week. <laughs> That is a very, that's a one-two punch right there. Wow. That has all, that has all sorts of interesting implications. It's true. (laughs) And we'll talk more about that next week when we do our horror episode. (laughs) So, yeah. So what is on your horizon this week, Lauren? Uh, this week, I'm not quite certain. I'm, I'm honestly, this is, this is where we're at in the pandemic. I am so excited about Shudder and uh, and Criterion, et cetera, having new films. Yes. Like, I'm really excited about that. Not least because Shudder is doing 61 Days of Halloween, and it sounds like they have a great lineup. Um, and, and I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm also looking forward to, there are a number of films that, that they're putting onto Criterion that I'm, I'm very excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my, my favorite thing right now is just to go on to the streaming services at the beginning of the month and be like, and I'm going to add that and that and that and that. <laughs> and then I don't watch three quarters of them, but still. But they're there. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. My problem is that I have just too many options and... I'll scroll through. Like, I really need Roku to have a universal, a universal list 
-hmm. And then I can just add whatever I want to that universal list and then just scroll through one place and be like, oh yeah, I feel like watching this right now. And then just go to it and not like, I wanted to see everything I want to watch all at the same time in one place. I need that to exist. And it currently doesn't. So anyway, yeah. So that's right. (laughs) So, um, well, we would like to thank everyone for, uh, for listening and for supporting the show. Of course, um, special shout out to our patrons, Heather, Adriana, the Crooked Table podcast, Michael, James, Katie, Cariata, Mason, Matthew, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Sharon, Steve, Tao, and Will. Y'all rock. Thank you so much. And if you would like to be a supporter of the show, uh, you can do so at patreon.com slash citizen name. Um, or you can just kick in a couple of dollars here or there. No commitments necessary. That's co-fi.com slash citizen name. Of course, no obligation whatsoever. We do this because we love it. And um, we hope that you love it too. And, um, but we do also have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen name, where you can get some merch. There are new face masks that I added last week, but a couple days later, they were still pending review. So I don't know what's going on with that. I need to check, but, um, I added some new face masks. So check those out. Um, and then of course you can reach out to us lots of different ways and follow along, um, on Twitter and Instagram. We are at citizen dame pod. We do have our Facebook page, facebook.com slash citizen dame. And then you can email us if you want to, that's citizendamepod at gmail.com. And our official website is citizendamepod.com, which uh, now that award circuit is going, I will be spending some more time there. So there's going to be a lot more content coming your way. Um, I'm actually going to be writing up I'm writing about the um, the Agnes Varda collection that Criterion just released. Uh, 15, 15 Agnes Varda films. I'm so excited. Um, so many films. It's amazing. And it's such a beautiful set. And the special features are incredible. So I'm really excited to, to talk about that and write about that for you guys. So um, yeah, and Lauren's doing some cool stuff there too. So, um, so that's that. You can also, of course, reach out to us individually. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Karen M. Peterson. And Lauren, where are you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at LH Business. All right. Well, thank you again so much for your support and for listening to us. And we will catch you next time. Bye. bothering you? Sam, not now. What's bothering me? You insulting the judge on the courthouse steps? That's what's bothering me. (laughs) Just relax. Excuse me? I have to live in this city after you're gone. Understand, no more public statements until this trial is over or I'm gone. Let me make this clear. My people will decide what to say to the newspapers and when to say it. The newspapers should have no place in this trial. They already do. People are losing their jobs because of these stories. Those people are not my clients. They are mine. My jury isn't just the 12 people in that jury box. It's the whole goddamn nation. You just focus on this case, try your best not to screw it up, and leave the big picture to me.